0: Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to how Christ has impacted us in this episode. It dawned on me as I was studying the Christmas stories again this year that uh, the way Luke writes the uh, Christmas stories, they're musical. Because every time that something wonderful happens, the character can express in words a normal, I guess it would be, Aramaic in their day, normal language, without breaking out into a song expressing the joy of what God has done, and to prove my point, turn with me to Luke. Um, okay, and um, okay, a lot of these uh, songs are titled by their Latin phrasing because they're used in the liturgy, especially in morning and evening prayer, have been used in uh, for centuries. Uh, by the church in their daily services, and um, if you go to Luke chapter one, Mary visits Elizabeth. And Elizabeth acknowledges that the baby in the womb is the Lord. Mary breaks out into song. If you have an NIV or an ESV, it probably there's a little notation says Mary's song. If you have an older translation, it says Magnificat. The Latin for magnify, the uh, English translation NIV says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Traditional translation is my soul soul magnifies the Lord. So it's called the Magnificat because that's the Latin for magnify. So she's breaking out into song, declaring the wonders of what God has done. Now, this is not a Broadway type song. I mean, it's talking about rulers being crushed and uh, the low being brought up, the poor being uh, delivered and god being faithful to his covenant promises it's quite similar in tone and style to hannah's prayer in first samuel chapter 2 when she's rejoicing the lord over samuel's birth and dedicating him to the lord it, which shows us, there's a lot of parallels that shows us that Mary probably had that memorized. She's taking it and using it for her in her circumstances that God is being that same promise-keeping God. Then you have John uh, John the Baptist, and his father, of course, was uh, Zechariah, and he was rendered silent because of his unbelief, questioning God's purposes. But when it's time for his name... To be given, the, uh, he's able to speak again, and as he does, he begins to break out in song in verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, <clears throat> and this is called the Benedictus in Latin, and it's praise be to the God of Israel because he's giving a benediction of praise and blessing to the Lord. And so, again, uh, this... Uh, call to covenant promises, this awareness of God's faithfulness and the uh, blessing of God for raising up a prophet, fulfilling Old Testament promises that there would be a prophet who would come ahead of the Messiah announcing his coming. Okay. Then you flip over to chapter two, uh, Jesus' birth, he's brought to the temple and uh, to be circumcised and the prophet Simeon and Anna encounter him. And as they encountered him, uh, uh, Simeon has this incredible prophetic word for his life and for Mary. And uh, it says in verse 25 of chapter 2, "...he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ." Moved by the spirit, he went to the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him the custom of the law required, verse 28, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. This is called the dunk didymos. Okay, mm-hmm. You have fulfilled your promise. And he breaks out into song. Sovereign Lord, you have promised. You have now dismissed your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles, a glory for your people Israel. So Jesus' birth had a habit of creating a musical, okay? So those of us who disdained musicals will have to bite our tongues just a little bit, man, okay? And uh, this is, we've come to the end of the Christmas season, was yesterday. This is the eve of Epiphany. This is Epiphany. And uh, then we begin to start a season after, because some, some churches will call it the season after Epiphany. Some even are now calling it Epiphany Tide. And it's a time of focusing on Christ making himself known to the world. Uh, and the, the scripture text of the gospel readings will focus on aspects of Christ's character that are now being made known to the world and for the, for the salvation of the Jew and the Gentile. Okay, now turn with me. Today's text is uh, Matthew chapter 2. Now, the Magi do not break out in song, but they do do some things, unusual things. okay. They do do some unusual things. And our title this morning, is Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Our title is Wisdom, Wise Men, and the and the Wisdom of God. Wisdom, Wise Men, and the Wisdom of God. And we just had it read, and you are probably prefer to premiere with a story. So I'm just going to start working through it just a little bit to give us uh, some uh, context to this uh, story. Now, one of the things that uh, preachers have to do every so often is to correct what often is... Uh, misunderstood in our culture um you know the christmas story has been told over and over again and we've seen nativity scenes over and over again and you see nativity scenes with three kings and they're appearing on the night that jesus is born and they're appearing in bethlehem uh, in the manger in the in the uh, cave or barn there where the animals are kept OK, so everything's compressed, kind of like a Hollywood movie. Where they tend to compress events and compress stories and bring them together. You know, you would never know Lord of the Rings it took you know years to to unfold in Tolkien's novel. And yet in the movie, it just seems like one thing's just happening right after the other. And we do that with the Christmas story oftentimes. So um, one is they're not kings. OK, they're magi. OK, magi means they're astrologers. They're magicians, they're interpreters of dreams, they're, uh, they are kingly advisors, and in some cases they're giving some ruling privileges. Daniel would have been in this category in Daniel chapter one and his friends had an eye and Michelle and so, uh, they would, Azariah, they would have been included in this, but technically they're not, when we think king, we think like British crown and they might've had some ruling aspects to their job. We also find this unusual that people Um, would spend a lot of their time focusing on planets and star movements in order to predict events. But in the ancient world, this was not unusual. Uh, In fact, you made a living off of it, trying to uh, tell what the movement of the stars, the movement of the planets, through that predict major events. Okay, so when... um, uh, let me think, uh, when Julius Caesar uh, died, a supernova appeared in the sky. So in the ancient world, this was confirmation that this was a great man. So if any kind of celestial event happened at the birth of a major figure, it was considered that this is a heavenlies or the gods, not necessarily a Jewish God, but of Yahweh, but the pagan gods were blessing this individual and giving them acknowledgment. Okay, so these um, magi are uh, astrologers, magicians, and they're court, sort of court counselors. Uh, in our scientific world, we find it hard to maybe wrap our minds around exactly what they did, but they were highly regarded and highly esteemed. Okay, uh, there's not just three. Okay. We say three kings of Orient are, but there's three gifts. It never says there's three kings. Okay. All right. And we notice in verse um, verse eleven that when the Magi come to the house, on coming to the house not coming to the manger, on coming to the house. And we see later in the story that Herod is going to try to kill everyone that's two years old and younger in Bethlehem. So we're thinking that the Magi actually visit Christ in their home somewhere within the first two years of Jesus' uh, birth, okay? So, you know, that that nativity story tends to compress these events. They're coming uh, later, okay? And... Um, uh, what's unusual about this Magi story is that Magi in the Hebrew mindset were looked down upon okay, okay. they're astrologers or magicians they're people doing seances they're actually violating Old Testament law okay so that's one reason when people like why would you include the story Matthew's including the story Why would he include the story? Because it actually happened. Because otherwise you wouldn't. Because when Jews would read this, they would look down on it because they don't think much of Magi because they're violating Old Testament promises to avoid seances and avoid astrology and avoid magic and to only look to the Lord their God for leadership and guidance and rely on the Holy Spirit for direction. So Matthew's including this I think, not because it's it makes it it, it makes uh, Jesus it, it look important. In other words, he's including it because it happened. Does that make sense? You wouldn't otherwise include it because people would it sets off red flags to a Jewish mindset unless it really did happen. Okay. Now they're journeying a great distance. Uh, uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came from Jerusalem. A lot of countries have tried to lay claim to who they are. The word magi is actually a a Persian word, meaning magician. And so um, we think it's probably as far as east as Iraq. Persia today, Iraq, Iran today. Okay. And they asked, where is the one who was born of the king of the Jews? We saw, saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. So they're, they, one, are looking for a king who would come and rule and bring peace and justice. Where's the one born king of the Jews? We know from uh, Roman histories, Herodotus and Sertonius, that this time in the ancient world, there's an anticipation that there would be a great king come out of Judah. I mean, these are pagan histories, pagan philosophers, Romans. And we know from that time that there was an anticipation in the ancient world, even among lost people, that something great was going to come out of, someone great was going to come out of Judea okay and we saw the star in the east and we've come to worship him they are being guided they they've they spent their life looking for signs from the sky that would point to some important event okay and now they're seeing it okay a lot of debate in uh, uh, bible scholarly circles is the nature of the star and trying to put things together to see if this would work, you know. Um, And I don't want to spend a lot of time there, but I do want to mention that it's interesting. About this time in the ancient world, uh, Jupiter and Saturn met together, or in the same orbit, and creating a a bright star-looking event and this happened either on may 29th october 3rd or december 4th It happened three times in about this year this roughly where this would have happened so that possibly could have been what they saw we don't know exactly what the nature of the star is but we know that they're partly getting it and that's part of what we're talking about today there's wisdom There's wise men, and there's the wisdom of God. The world will have wisdom. The world will get part of it. The world will oftentimes catch the idea, but they don't know how to fix it because only the wisdom of God knows how to change a heart and transform a life and deal with people. Okay? Let me give you an instance. Give you an instance. A study was done of uh, poverty in the world. When uh, I was younger, the conventional wisdom was that the Earth's resources would run out and eventually it wouldn't be able to support the population. Now we know that the, actually the Earth is renewing itself to some degree and that actually we do have the resources to feel, feed every, everyone in the world. In fact, the United States produces enough food to feed the world four times everyone in the world. So the issue is not resources. The e- issue is willingness. Okay? The issue is what they found in their studies, the issue is uh, the people who have the food willing to part with it, lose control of it, and be able to discount it in a way that it can get to where it needs to go. A lot of the problem is the cost of getting the food to the hungry person. We're we willing to bear that cost, lose that profit in order to reach that person. So you've got one issue. You've got the person with the money and the food or corporations with a heart issue. We don't want to let that go without a profit. Okay? Then you've got, they've discovered in poverty issues, there's people who are walking in poverty who are of low income have deep resentments for being in that situation and deeply resent being helped or being thought of in that situation and will fight back to receive the help that they might need in order to help their society or their income class raise up. So there's heart issues there, okay? And so what is the Uh, answer well there's been numerous books written how do we solve this problem of getting the food to the poor and how we get the poor to receive it and the resentments and the heart issues that are involved in both cases and that's where the world's wisdom stops they can't that's how far it can go but what we do know is the wisdom of God is that if you look to the Christ who is Savior and Lord And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can change a heart and give people a willingness to be unselfish and give people a willingness to forgive and give and heal the hurts and pain of uh, the life of being in a low income and heal the selfishness of wealth and give a willingness to give and uh, the gospel can transform a heart. And actually, the gospel is what can transform and fix the poverty problem in the world. Okay. So, the wisdom of the world, you read the books, they give you the solution, they point out the problem, they show you the issues, but they can't provide the solution only God can, because only God can change a heart. Okay. So, the wise men, they see a star in the sky. It lines up with their astrology. They've heard the rumors that something's coming out of Judea, and so they make their start, but they don't have enough information. When the King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the chief priests and teachers of law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Why would King Herod be nervous about a bunch of guys on camels probably coming into Jerusalem saying they're looking for the king of the Jews because Herod wasn't a Jew he was an Edomian so they probably don't realize that they're telling the man these your replacements coming okay and he feels th- personally threatened and you were talking about Jezebel killing her own children. That's what Herod did. Herod felt so threatened by his own sons that he had some of them killed because he thought that they were trying to take his place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got them, this big entourage. When these Magiars show up, they don't. it's not like like the song three of them. There's numerous of them. And, and to be able to support that kind of journey in the ancient world from, say, even Iraq, Iran to uh, Jerusalem, you have had huge tents, huge amounts of food, huge amounts of servants to make all this work, and you're looking at hundreds of people show up saying, we have come to see the king of the Jews, yet Herod's already king, but he's not a Jew. And so it creates a great stir. And so Herod doesn't even know. He asked the chief priests and teachers what's going on. And they tell him the answer. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied. They're quoting Micah 5.2. You, but you in Bethlehem and land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. They knew. They knew. The scribes and Pharisees knew where he was to be born. And what was their response? Indifference. The people who were chosen people of the Lord who had a heart for the scriptures didn't obey the scriptures. Here's a whole group coming from the Gentile lands to point to them, the new king, who's going to bring righteousness and peace, who's going to transform hearts and raise up the people of God. And their response is, Nothing. You would think that they would get their own entourage and run to Bethlehem real quick. If these people from the east think he's there, then why don't we run and go there too? But they're indifferent. They know the scriptures, but it hasn't transformed their hearts or given them a motivation or give them a hunger or hunger for the Lord. They just have the knowledge without the passion. Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. Liar. No, that I may go and kill him. was a front. An authority who felt threatened all of a sudden intimidated by all these people who have come out of these countries. Rome had always felt intimidated by the Parthians. If you read Roman literature and the great ancient battles, their greatest defeats were out of the plains near the Tigris-Euphrates River, and their greatest defeats were by what was then called the Parthians, what today we call Iraq, and they always felt threatened. That was the limit of their empire, was right along that Syrian desert Going into Iraq, that's where they stopped. They never could quite get the handle over them, and they always, there was an inherent fear. It's like if you read early American history, there's this tremendous fear of American Indian or Native people's uprising. I was reading the biography of Jonathan Edwards, and they're out in this, what was then called the wilderness in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And there was this fear of an Indian uprising. Okay. it just kind of floated when I was a kid as mentioned before there's, there was this fear of the Russians and the Soviet Union a real fear would missiles ever be shot would we ever be in a real war it just pervaded everything it hung over everything Well, in Rome in the ancient world they worried about the Parthians coming in well where are these guys from where are these Magi from they're from that area of Parthia okay. so you can see the fear rising up but Herod, I'm not a Jew. These people are coming from Parthia. What in the world's going on? He fakes this idea that he really cares. Okay. It's just more political manipulation. Okay. And so he goes and he says, after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. You imagine, you go to Bethlehem, and a star is pointing out his place. But as we mentioned before, it's not a palace. It's not Jerusalem. It's not fancy clothes. It's not a huge entourage. It's just it's not great wealth. It's a simple house, and a teenage girl with a toddler child. The word for child there is the word for toddler So that's another indication that this is not the very night of his birth, but it's later. Okay. They come there and they search and they find him. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. I want you to think about that. You have been traveling for hundreds, if not thousands of miles. You have dealt with incredible rulers you have been relying on the stars. It's not till you till you get to Jerusalem where you find out that it's actually Bethlehem. so the wisdom of the world could only go so far and then once they read the scriptures and got the understanding of the scriptures, then they could take the next step and that's the thing where there is a, in psychology, sociology, there's a lot of wisdom in the world, but they can only take you. So far. Okay. And the wisdom of the world changes all the time. I remember when I was a kid, it was the ice age is coming. Be prepared because the earth's temperature is changing. And they didn't use the word climate change, but that's what they meant. But they said a new ice age was going to come, just like the way it destroyed the dinosaurs, and everyone needed to prepare for it. There is even a Saturday Night Live skit making fun of this. You can look up on YouTube. But what's the conventional wisdom now? Conventional wisdom now is the earth is getting hotter, okay, to the point that the ice cap is melting, and that we're the coastal cities will be flooded, to the point that a young lady in my at work, in my break room, told me she walked in fear that by the time she got older, that the United States would be destroyed because of climate change. Okay. Well, what about that report that came out two weeks ago that said the ozone layer of the Earth is expanding and is actually healing itself and growing by 3 to 5% every year, especially over North America? Okay. Where is the climate change doctors there? It's the wisdom of the world that's just constantly changing, okay. constantly changing. When I was in college, everything was about Freud. You know, uh, Tim Keller was selling on a sermon that I was listening to that it, t- when he came to New York in the 80s, everything was about Freud And psychoanalyst, and you needed to discover your subconscious, and that way people were going to a psychoanalyst at least three to five times a week to discover the problems in their subconscious so that they could overcome their difficulties. And this was all coming out of Freud. He said, here we are. The sermon I heard was from 2014, and he said, no one does that in New York anymore. That was the conventional wisdom. Now the conventional wisdom has changed. Where do we find true wisdom? Where do we find someone that says something that lasts, that's always true? That's, of course, the wisdom of God, who is Jesus Christ. And they have found this wisdom. And these magi found this wisdom, and they never saw a miracle. They never heard a teaching. They never saw a prophet pointing him out like John the Baptist. They just walked up to the house and worshiped. Now think about that. There's a bishop named J.C. Ryle who ministered in the late 19th century, and he wrote this. The Magi believed in Christ when they had never seen him, but that was not all. They believed in him when the scribes and Pharisees were unbelieving, begin, but again, that was not all. They believed in him when they saw him as a little infant on Mary's knee and worshipped him as a king. This was the crowning point of their faith. Now think about it. All the signs that the world would say, this is the king who will bring justice and peace, who will transform hearts and give us God's wisdom, who is the wisdom of God. And they believed it, and all they saw was a child in his mother's lap. They saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no teaching to persuade them. They held no signs of divinity and greatness to overawe them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant helpless and weak and needing a mother's care like any other baby. Yet when they saw that infant, they believed and they saw the divine Savior of the world. They fell down and worshiped. Some of you may have seen that movie, The Nativity Story, that came out two or three years ago. That's my favorite scene, even though, again, it's out of timing. But. That's my greatest favorite scene. We read of no greater faith than this in all the Bible, J.C. Rall says, is a faith that deserves to be placed side by side with the penitent thief. The thief saw the dying, the, de- uh, the dying, the death of a malefactor and yet prayed to him, call him Lord. The wise men saw a newborn babe on the lap of a poor woman, yet worshiped him and confessed that he was Christ. Blessed indeed who believe in the way of the Lord. They believed and they worshipped. Based on very little information, not based on the wisdom of this world. Wisdom of this world said it should be an entourage. There should be great wealth. There should be a huge palace. There should be soldiers all around. And yet the wisdom of God is God works through small, insignificant places, through ordinary people transforming lives through the weak God's wisdom is upside down. Okay. So you got worldly wisdom that you can gain by just observation, but it changes. So you have wise men who recognize that there's something more, but they need more. And then they go to the wisdom of God and find their lives transformed. It so they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, fr- Frankincense and myrrh, these are kingly gifts. And that may be another reason why these Magi sometimes are called kings, because these are kingly presents, and they're very expensive. and probably funded their lives for quite a while. And these are gifts of royalty. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned their country by another route. The Lord is divinely directing them so that they would not be caught up in Herod's political schemes. So this is the, excuse me, this is the issue. Thank you. That the worldly wisdom is dated. As I mentioned, psychology changes, perceptions of climate change changes, often dated within a generation. Worldly wisdom is insufficient it, will, can, can change, it can describe a situation, but it can tell you how to fix it. Worldly wisdom is often superficial because it only looks at the outward things and doesn't know the attitude and thoughts of a heart. But God's wisdom through the power of the Holy Spirit can burst the banks and set people free. Jesus was not born into the right family, the right place, with the right conditions, the right education, with the right accomplishments, but he was the right person because he was the son of God who can transform a life because he walks in God's way God's way is to go up is to go down to gain power is to serve to be rich is to give away to uh, relationships is more important than stuff that's God's wisdom so what do we call what do we do? Called to do? We're called to love and to serve this Christ, and to walk in the wisdom of God and not in the wisdom of the world. We'll close with this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased to the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. You're telling me, Paul, that the way a life is transformed is simply through a message shared with another person? Jews demand miraculous signs, but They even got them and didn't believe. Greeks look for wisdom. They want a Socrates, a Plato, and Aristotle. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews because someone who dies on a tree is cursed. And foolishness to the Gentiles because it makes no sense. Because they they look for philosophy and intellectual things to change lives, not the power of the Holy Spirit and the Son of God who would die and rise again. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is greater than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So there is wisdom in this world. But if to truly be a wise man like the Magi, you seek the wisdom of God, who is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Epiphany, and we thank you for the revelation of Christ to us. We pray that, Lord, show us the clear and abiding differences between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of this uh, wisdom of God. Help us to understand, know, and love Christ, who is our wisdom, our sanctification, our redemption, our atoning work from you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Lamb of God Podcast.